What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Against All Odds podcast. Today, I have a very special podcast for you. It's a little collab with me, Jack Blake, and Michael Cunningham from 7MLC. So it should be really cool. Uh, we're just going to have some questions, some topics that we're all going to kind of talk about, give our points of view. And I think it's going to be very, very valuable for you guys. I hope you guys enjoy it. Let me know what you think. And let me know if you guys want to hear another one with these two guys. So uh, let's roll the intro and let's get started. <music> Okay, guys, so I'm just waiting for Jack to start the Zoom call, but in the meantime, I actually have a sponsor for this episode. I know you guys really missed the sponsors in the last few episodes, but they're back. Don't worry. Uh, but this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Ebonel Skincare, and specifically the Lightning Pain Relief Cream. So. Uh, this is a very cool product. I, I've used it actually after a few training sessions or a few different workouts, and it's pretty much just a pain relief cream that you're gonna pop off the top, has a cool little rolly ball on the top, and you're just gonna kinda like roll it over an area that's a little bit sore for you. Um, for me, I used it on my quads, I used it a little bit on my back, and it, it feels really good. It's just kinda like a, a normal burning, or not a burning sensation, but it's a very nice, warm, kind of tingly sensation wherever you put that cream on. Uh, so I, I really like it, and it's not as intense as other creams that I've tried. It's definitely just like a warm burn, and one thing that's unique about this product is that it not only helps relieve pain and that sense of pain, but it also works to reduce inflammation. So it is um, anti-inflammatory, which is really cool and helpful for athletes. So anyway, they're sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you guys wanna check them out, you can check them out on Amazon or their website, and both links will be in the description. And if you guys do, if you guys wanna check them out, just be sure to use my coupon code AGAINST10 when checking out. So uh, appreciate it, and thank you very much for Ebonel Skincare for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Uh, so we're about to hop on right now with Jack and Michael, and we'll get a good discussion going for you guys. All right, guys, I think we should get straight into it. Um, the first question that I had, and that one that I think is incredibly important that doesn't get spoken of uh, enough about is the mental health side of football. And so the question that I had written down was, do you think there is enough support for professional footballers on the mental health side? With it being such a brutal business, how have you managed to stay in the game mentally? Yeah, so, uh, thanks. So thanks. Thanks for that introduction, Jack. Appreciate it. Wait, wait, wait. Should I do that again? <laughs> no, wait, no, we'll just keep going. I'm good. just messing with, I'm messing with you. Um, no, that's a really good question, honestly. Uh, I think that it's, it's always crazy with, like, the mental health side because I think that's one of the things that, like, I, I had no idea, like, how much of a mental game it was, especially because when you're a kid, you kind of, like, have it more of a, of a game. So like, even though you put pressure on yourself and you're a kid, I felt like uh, you have a bad game or you know, you're having a bad week of training or you get cut from a team, you do put pressure on yourself, but it's not the same as when you're a pro and like you get cut from a team or you're a free agent or you have a bad game because then not only do you have all that pressure on yourself that you put on, but also you have like the external pressure of, am I gonna be able to have a contract for next year? Am I gonna be able to, you know, uh, to provide for my family and be able to like, keep my career going. So I think it definitely like transitioning to higher and higher levels, there's more and more pressure. And it, I feel like it is kind of true. Like it, it, the mental health, can, I, I've seen it get to a lot of players and I've seen a lot of players kind of break down for, and some like kind of thrive with it and some don't do too well. And honestly, I really, this is like the first team here with FC Tulsa where, where we have like a psychologist that kind of is available to talk to. So I feel like it's, it's good now but like this is the first time and I'm 28 that I've had a psychologist available to me, you know, it's kind of weird. Yeah, that's interesting because when I was growing up uh, at Forest, I kind of felt like everything was spoon fed. Like we were always, we had all the, the gear, we had the facilities, we had a psychologist we could speak to. And then it was only really for me when I left England and I went over to America that the mental side really um, came into effect because it was almost like I'd cut complete ties of, my family back home you know I'd came across with what my wife now that was my girlfriend at the time and it was almost like you were completely alone completely solo um, you didn't know anyone and I think like the the brutality of being cut like at the age of I was 21 at Forest and I've been there since I was nine years of age no one prepares you for that like there's no one that sits you down and says okay this might happen if it does happen this is what you should do and at that time, it was kind of, it just happened so quickly. 
And um, it, it's interesting because when, when I was at the club for, for such a long period of time. And the, how I found out that I was getting released was I got a letter through the post. And um, that for me was a real hard pill to swallow. And that was what I think like left me a little bit bitter of the whole situation and, and wanted something completely unique. Like mentally to deal with that at the time, you know, I'd, I'd put my heart and soul and my life into the game and been from at the club since nine years of age to then receive a letter through the post at 21 to say, sorry, we're not going to be renewing your contract. It was a bit like, right, this is actually real life now. And this is where like the mental side I can either sink or I can swim. And for me, I just had to, in that split moment, um, just grow up. And that's, that for me is, is the mental side was way harder than any uh, attribute uh, football-wise, physically. The mental side for me was the biggest uh, hurdle I had to overcome to maintain and like stay in the game. That's crazy. Through the, through the, through the mail? Yeah. It's crazy, honestly. Like, <laughs> so we, we were playing, uh, it was an under 21 league game. It was the last game of the season, and we needed to, uh, we needed to win to get into like the, the playoffs or whatever it was. And my head was just like gone. And I got sent off after 29 minutes. I got two yellow cards, and my head was just gone. And like at the time after that game, you know, I was walking back to the change room and 29 minutes into the game, I've been sent off. Like one of the first ever, well, I think it was the second time I've been sent off. And uh, it was just like, what has the world come to? Like everything is just shot to pieces. And uh, it was just one of those moments that I will never forget. And one that I'm so glad happened because if it wasn't for this experience and how I learned from overcoming the mental side, then I probably wouldn't be, you know, at the level I'm at now. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I think you're in a unique position, Jack, because uh, I don't think Matt and I have obviously been attached to a club for that long, but because you're coming into it at such an early age, and although it's not guaranteed, I think there is an expectation and almost a promise probably made by the club, or at least an intention that they're trying to nurture you to eventually play first team. That's why they have the academy system. You know, it's developing these players, trying to build the next big star at their club. And I think because you went in at such a young age, you're probably just, that's all you're thinking about. You're thinking maybe things are going to be taken care of. And you're only thinking about that first team contract one day. I'm, I'm sure of it. And to be kind of let go in that sense after spending, what, 12 years at the club, I think that is... Yeah, I mean, if you're from such a young age, having to go, go through that is, is something not a lot of people are going to experience. So I can only imagine. And it's hard to relate. I think my, my experience is nothing like that. I was pretty much in like local leagues till the age of 16. So I don't think I ever had the expectation of going to the next level. So it wasn't like if things didn't work out, I don't think it would have been as tough for me to swallow because... I was only playing kind of local leagues and I just really enjoyed it. It wasn't until a lot later stage where I was even thinking about the chance to go professional in any kind of league anywhere. And I didn't get my first kind of pro experience until 18. I was with Luton Town for about three months. But I was coming into a system where, just like you, players have been at the club since 13, 14 for years. You know, really good relationships with the coaches. They know the ins and outs of all their players, their tendencies. And I'm coming in from pretty much just playing amateur football till 16. Then I finally got into an academy system where we're training every day. And that's where I really started learning the game, to be honest. So it was more of a, an excitement for me. And I was only there for three months and I got released. And I was you know, trying to break into a team just, just like yourself, who had been in that system for so long. So it was, it was easy for me to stand out as not being ready because of my lack of tactical experience and everything like that. So. I don't think it hit me as hard because it was more like, wow, I can't believe in two years I even got to this and Luton Town's like a league two, you know, the very bottom of professional level in England. And at the time they were even struggling. They went into the, the blue square Prem Jack. So like they even went out of the professional league because of administration. So it's literally at the bottom of the pile. And, and I'd finally gotten like a little taste of it. So I was kind of like over the moon with that. But I can only imagine like what you went through because you've probably planned out the next 10 years of your life. And then to get that letter through the mail, it's like, what, what are you even doing in that situation? 
Yeah, mm. I think like uh, me and Shelly have spoke about this before, but I think in England, is uh, is you're considered a young player probably between the ages of seventeen and max twenty. Right. Where you come over to the states and you're classed as a young player probably up until twenty four. Uh, I mean, I won the I won the Young Player of the Year award, and I was 23 years of age. Like to me, that was crazy that I was even considered as a young player at that age. But like that's why at the time when I got released from Forest, that the U.S. market did appeal to me because I was considered still a fairly young player with not a lot of experience as a professional, but still someone that is considered as a, as a young professional. Um, and so that was uh, another factor as to why I moved over. But I also think like the mental side of football is it can go in, there's, a, there's such a wide spectrum and such an extreme on one end, which is like, you know, everything ends and you decide not to be a professional footballer anymore. And then there's like the little things that happen, whether you're left out the squad, whether you're left on the bench, whether you have a little conversation with a manager and he lets you know he's not quite happy with it. You know, there's all these little things that, that also come into play and in, in the mental side to, to the game that aren't spoken about a lot. I mean, Shelley, have you, what do you think about those sides of it? How, how have you dealt with you know, have you experienced being on the fringe of the team and then having to work your way in? Like, how, how do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's it, there's so many little things that, like, you pick up, I feel like. Like, what you just said about how if you don't make a travel roster. You know, like, when I was in St. Louis, like, I went from starting, 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 and then one get the next game, I just didn't even make the travel team to go to, like, South Carolina or something. And so it was, like, little things like that. And it's the same thing. Nobody talks to you. I, I almost – it wasn't as bad as getting a, a letter through the mail – but I got, a text, you know, you see the text about the roster about who's traveling. I had already had my bag, like pretty much packed up. And then I get it. I'm like, oh, I'm not even here. And my parents were flying from Oregon all the way to South Carolina to watch that game. So, yeah. So like little things like that, like, it's just, you're kind of on your own. And so like, I was there in my apartment the whole time and you just kind of sit there. But again, I feel like it's so important. And I feel like so many players do like this wrong of like, they, they let those little things get to them, you know, a lot. And they're like, they almost come out and then they come to training, they come the next week or whatever. And instead of just being like, okay, and taking it in a positive way, you know, anything that comes to you can be always taken two ways. The same thing, how when you got that letter in the mail, you could have easily just been like, oh, I'm, I'm done. You know, like, okay, obviously my career is done. Or you can always go like the more positive way and use it as like a little bit of fuel to you. So I feel like the best pros, whenever they get those, those situations with the mental, like, where it really is messing with you mentally, they always have those two options of like, okay, I can kind of take it the bad way or take it the good way. And you see, you know, you see players all the time. They come to training the next week and they give half effort because they're like, I didn't make the travel roster. I'm going to pout a little bit, you know, not, not give it my all. Or there's the players that kind of go out there and be like, okay, no, I'm going to really prove that I'm the better right back or I'm the better center back or whatever. Like he made a mistake. And then they usually work their way back in the lineup, you know? And then, so I feel like, there any any time when it comes to those mental things and I feel like it would be great to have more support like that with a psychologist that kind of brings you in or talks to you when you don't make the travel roster to pretty much just say exactly that you know but but there's just nothing and I feel like the the players that do the best are the ones that that can see that and kind of figure that out for themselves yeah 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 I think with your situation Jack it almost it should be the club kind of fixes you up with the next opportunity, whether that's in football or education. I think there should be some kind of responsibility put on the club when you're there for a certain amount of time. And maybe at that age, if they're like, okay, we're, we're not going to take you on forward as a player, but we're, we're going to help you with your education or something else. So not just to like leave you hanging out to dry kind of thing, because it sounds like it was a, just a clean cut there and then and communication was over. It didn't seem like there was like, okay, here are the next steps because you're obviously mentally strong. You, you pursued another opportunity, but just like Matt was saying before, everybody's kind of different how they respond to things. There's players who will come to training after not being on the roster one week and work even harder. There's others that will take that so bad and it will negatively affect their confidence and it will kind of be a steady decline after that. And there's probably a lot of people who in your situation could easily have gone off the deep end. I know there's a lot of documentaries out there. I can't remember the name of the one. I'm sure you've seen it, Jack, where it's about academy boys in England, you know, what happens to them at 18 when they don't get the first team contract. And it's kind of showing their life of what they're trying to do, how they're trying to get back into the game. And a lot of them are suffering with deep depression, anxiety. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, yeah, yeah. So it's, um, 
it's tough to watch. I mean, obviously I can't fully relate because I've not been in the situation, but I can definitely kind of put myself in those shoes just from the, the small experiences I've had, even the, the little setbacks. It's, it's so hard to take mentally because football, unlike other jobs, it's the responsibility always comes on you. You know what I mean? And it's like, you're, it's, it's something, there's something different about when it's your job is using your body, using everything about you to perform that it's not something you it's not like a job where you're using a laptop to do the job or something else it's all you so when you're not functioning how you want to it's all the negativity is kind of stems from you you have, you have nothing else to blame which is kind of hard and you can put yourself in a bit of a bit of a rut mentally if you if you allow it if you're not yeah. around people yeah i think like i think jack i have yeah. a theory i have a question too i got a theory this is like something like I've like noticed throughout my career, but I feel like, and it's kind of surprising too, um, that even with your situation, but I feel like a lot of the players that um, have gone through like a lot of mini setbacks like that through their career, like if it's an injury, like they, if they've struggled with injuries a lot at their youth or if they've been cut a lot, I feel like it almost like it, it helps prepare them in a way. Like Michael and me, like we both have been rejected and I've been bounced around from a lot of different clubs. And I feel like you almost kind of get used to it. So like, it doesn't affect you as much. Do you think that? And do you think that like, um, that players that like yourself that have gone through, have been with one club for a long time, or let's say a player who has, like you said, a little bit spoon fed, do you feel like that it is a little bit rare if, for when they do get that big setback to continue on, on pushing? Like, I feel like you like had to have that. Like it's, it's very, you know, I, I just don't hear that that much. I feel like there's so many players in England that could be such amazing players and come and go and play in different countries like the USL. But a lot of them just like stop at that level, like right at 18, 19, 20. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I think, I think the fact that I'd been at the club so long, I was spoon fed as an academy player throughout the whole time I was there. You know, we would always have our kit laid out. Um, you know, every time we got to training sessions were laid on really nice fields um, every time we traveled, everything was set up, buses, really good quality. Everything was, was top quality. It was one of the best academies in the country at the time, probably in the world. And so, yeah, I mean, to never have felt the taste of rejection before, that was almost what made it worse and harsher. And the way that it came was harsher. So it sort of, it was all came at once rather than, than sort of in slow stages. It all came at once. And you know, you know professional football, you know how it is. You sort of get a taste of, um, you sort of understand a vibe from a coach or a vibe from, you know, if you think you need another contract or, or whatever. Um, but because you were coming through the academy, it was sort of like whoever was in charge of the first team, that was the person that sort of decided your fate as an academy player, which sort of didn't really make too much sense. But Forrest... Um, the problem at Forest was that there was a lot of first team managed changes. The, you know, there was there was something like eight managerial changes in like three years, and you know it was just a revolving door of managers. And as a young player trying to break through it, it was very difficult because you know you impress one coach who likes you, and then the first team doesn't do too well, and then all the hard work that you've done to impress him just goes out the window because then it's like you got to start all over again. So it was actually. It was a really tough year for me because I, I, um, I turned uh, 21 in the September of 2014 and I found out at the end of a week after that I had a stress fracture in my leg and I was out for until February of 2015 and then obviously um, the season finished in May so I only had a few months to try and impress the new manager at the time because Stuart Pearce was the manager before I got injured. When I got injured and whilst I was injured, he got sacked, new manager came in. And then it was almost like the new manager didn't know me, never seen me play. I'd been injured for four, four months. So it was like, why would I keep you at the club? So it was almost like the, the mental toughness to get through the injury, but then also what then came a few months later, it all came at once. And it was just like one thing after another and I could have quite easily just been like no like I'm not I'm out of this like, I want to go do a, a desk job I want to go do something completely different um but I think that's where football it really taught me the lesson that it's such a game of opinion you know one manager's opinion of you 
compared to another manager's, compared to another player's opinion of you, can, can be so drastically diff different that sometimes you wouldn't think you're the same player. And, and to me, that is what the mental strength aspect of it is because it, it boils down to self-belief. Like you were just saying, Michael, like it, everything is what you do. It's your body. So it's, if you can control it in a positive way, and like you were saying, Shelley, taking decisions in a positive manner, and then that will affect your confidence and everything you do to perform. I think that is the, the self-belief for me is the, is the main mental strength that I've had to um, attribute and, and put forward. And I think that would, that would be my only advice to anyone watching this, is to just believe in yourself and understand that one manager's opinion can be so different and another manager might absolutely love you. Yeah. So, Michael, I'm curious about this for you, too. So it's like same thing like Jack had all the, the self-belief after he got that first, um, uh, that first rejection. But like it's, it, I feel like in England... It's very, very, if you don't make it by 18, 19, 20, there's a stigma to keep on trying to play pro. So I'm wondering, like, Michael, why did you continue to keep playing and continue to, to go? Yeah, I mean, I, I think because I did get that taste late on, I was kind of, I didn't have that from an early age, so it was a new realm for me. And when anything is new, it's exciting. It becomes addictive very quickly. And because I only had that short, like, three-month period at Luton, and I was like, well... I've developed so much in two years. What if what happens in the next two years? What happens in four years? What happens in six years? I'm not going to play in the Premier League because I, I don't even, I'm not even on the fringe of Luton. Well, technically, yeah, maybe on the fringe because I was in there training with the team. But I was realistic with myself, which I think really helped because I think in England, if you're not in an academy up until the age of 18 or before that, you're definitely not playing at the highest level. That's the... That's what everyone assumes. And I think everybody kind of, and I, I assume that as well because I grew up in that culture. So I was, I never had that expectation of going to the highest level, but I was like introduced to a new realm. And I was like, where could I possibly go pro? What, what will it take kind of thing? And I was kind of addicted to that daily training. And when I was released, I was like, what am I going to do now? So that's when I looked into coming to the US because it was that age where I literally had to decide, am I going to go to university or am I going to play football? And in England, Jack, you know this, like university football is, it's not as serious. There's some good individual institutions, but as far as like leagues and that, it's not really that competitive at all. So it was, it's more of a choice. You, you go to university and kind of play almost recreationally, or you're going to really try and play pro and, and do that. But I wasn't ready to play pro. I knew I wasn't because I just didn't know the game well enough tactically. I'd been training technically for so many years that was like my thing just through individual drills but I knew I didn't know the game enough and I was pretty realistic about that so I wanted to come to US where I the sports is pretty serious in college like obviously me and Jack growing up seeing films and stuff like that of the American college sports these packed out stadiums and whatnot and you just see the level of facilities you see how they train every day and I've seen some of my friends coming over so I was like okay I want to I want to experience that so that's what I pursued next. I really wanted to come out here and get an education as a plan B, but I knew in my heart I was, I was out here trying to like develop as a footballer. And um, what's this? You guys get this weird message on the Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, Zoom just has it so we have unlimited, we can talk for a limited amount of time now. Okay, okay. okay. If, it, if it does cut out, by the way, I'll just restart a new one. No, I'm done. <laughs> The cuts out, it's over, okay? Yeah, keep going, keep going, Michael. Yeah, um, so I, when, I, when I got out here, it was kind of like the similar to the academy experience. You know, we're training every day, we're going to school, and that's what it's like in academies in England. You are still doing education. Uh, Jack, you probably did the YT, right? When you were... Uh, B-Tech. tech yeah. So I was, that's what I was doing. I was doing a B-Tech, yeah. uh, like the last two years of high school. And so it felt like a natural progression. So I was addicted to that lifestyle, and I continued that through college. And, um, but the same thing, the, the young age, be, being considered as a young player, again, was very appealing for me to come out here because I knew a lot of proteins are looking at college graduates because of that experience that they've had being around a team, you know, five days a week training and then playing on the weekends. It's grooming these players for that professional environment, you know, the travel, everything about it. It's, it's a good reflection of what the pro level is like. And that's, when players ask me, should I go to college and whatnot? And I, I just ask, you know, you've got to be realistic with what experiences that you've had. This could be a really good experience for you to get that 
professional environment without being paid, of course, but, and seeing is that the lifestyle you want? Because that's a reflection of the pro game. You're training every day, you're traveling on the weekends, you're away a lot, you're, you're putting your body through a lot for many months out of the year. So that was a real test for me coming out here and seeing if, is this what I want? And then the whole ultimate goal, I was trying to be tactical with the college that I came to. I knew they had a USL team here. Rush to Rhinos, Matt, I know you, I think you played against them, right? Maybe away. So they were the USL team here. And I, my college coach had kept me in touch with the Rhinos coach for pretty much my entire college career. So that was the whole anticipation I was going to be going to play there. And I finally went and trained there, didn't work out, and they actually folded, which was a tough situation. So this is when I went over to Australia. And it's not a fully professional league over in Australia. They train three days a week, but it was my full-time job. It was the first time I'd been compensated by a club where it can be my only job. So like, you know, that was the next level for me. And I really enjoyed that. And that became addictive. So I wanted to see if I could uh, pursue that even more. And then I ended up coming back to the US after that. But even that small experience, I kind of really felt like I got a grasp of the professional system because it was dealing with money now and players were being cut. Players were be there was politics. There was, there was the business side of the game that started to creep in. And that's where I finally started to learn and kind of understand more about it and the pressures of being an athlete as your job. Cause they had a midway point in the season where a lot of my teammates were being cut and, you know, and this was their full-time job technically, even, you know, it's not a professional league, but like at that age in your twenties, you're earning enough money to live by. And, that pressure kind of was hard for me to deal with because not only was this my only source of income, but I was away from home again. So the U S became my second home. Then I went again to Australia, kind of a untouched territory for me. I went with my wife, Becca, she was working, but we were kind of in an uncertain time where I didn't know if I was going to get cut because my performances were up and down and, and that performance anxiety started to creep in where instead of just playing freely you know knowing it's like in college you're not gonna get kicked out of college for having a bad game but in this league if you have two or three bad games I've seen players getting released and or at the midway point being told they're going to be transferred to another club so it was a whole different experience for me and that's where I start to realize it but it wasn't until a late age I was 24 when I was out in Australia and that was my first experience of that realm of understanding football as a potential job so I think I was better prepared for that though Jack like you were young and you've been through all of that but I think because I've been through college I've had jobs before you know I, I start to see it more like a job and realize how similar they were you have to go for tryouts which is pretty much your interview then you have like performance reports with your coach you have your salary and there was a lot of sim similarity so I felt like I was better equipped to kind of deal with that but even just that small period of being out there, it made me really realize that like, it's a whole different pressure when it becomes your job. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's easy to lose the joy for it in those times as well. And I think, I think it does take a lot of mental strength to, to kind of get out of that situation, especially when you've been relying on it and now you're an adult. So it's not just like when you're a young player, oh, I can find another team because somebody else is paying my rent, somebody else is buying my food and things like that. It's a whole different pressure where, for me, I was married. You know, do I pursue another pro contract because I'm not just putting myself in jeopardy here if things don't work out. I'm traveling, I'm taking Becca with me and to different countries, making her leave her jobs and things like that. And it makes you really question how much you really love this game. And grateful to say, you know, on the other side of it, I really felt like I made the right choices to continue pursuing it. And I'm grateful, obviously, I have YouTube and um, to kind of supplement my income and everything like that. But that, without that, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would be still playing at a competitive level. I know I'm not at the level you guys are at for sure. I'm playing in a, a pro indoor league now. But still, same concept. I'm not as many people trying to get into this pro indoor league, so not as competitive to get into but still it's a professional environment there's wages uh, a lot of guys are living full-time off this and they're in the same situation any any anyone who's a pro athlete you're you're putting your body through a lot of you know a lot of pain a lot of duress and 
there's not always guaranteed a contract at the end of your season. There's not always guaranteed a next game. You could get injuries and things like that. There's a lot of things that people don't think about, I think, when they're getting into this. And I think it is important, going back to the original question, that's why it is so important to have psychologists because there's just so many factors that can be affected. And I think the older you get, the harder it is because there's more riding on it. It's when you're a young player, I think at 16, coming out of an academy or something like a lot of these boys were, they've still got the rest of their lives ahead of them. But at our age, you know, in our, in our 20s, thinking about the rest of our life, it's, it's tougher now having to reset and kind of start your life all over again. So I think people who are getting really deep into it and don't quite get into a position where they can make a full career out of it, I think it's dangerous territory. And I think, I think there should be a lot more available for players and maybe pushed on players a little bit more because I think a lot of players kind of want to go in their shell when things aren't working out. And it's kind of a shameful experience. You know, there's an embarrassment that comes with it, thinking you're not good enough and you feel like you've been hung out to dry a lot. So. Yeah, I think I rambled on a lot there. But to, my, to your point, I think <laughs> there should be a lot more. And I think it, it should be a bit more, should be a bit more voiced. I think there should be actual legitimate steps that should be taken outside of a professional environment. Because in a normal job, you have severance packages. You have a company that's kind of vouching for you a little bit. They're not just like, all right you're done, off you go, they're like, okay, th these are the next steps, the next six months we're going to pay this and that, your health insurance is going to be here and that, but it's not quite as... as because uh, something that I, I was thinking about as well is, um, you know, had all this coronavirus not happened this year, you know, my, my wife's, everything good? Yeah, sorry, I've just, my camera shut down. I'm, carry on though, because I'm still recording the screen. Sorry, mate. Um, so yeah, it's interesting you say that because had all this coronavirus stuff not gone on this year, you know, my wife's due to give birth in uh, yeah. 31 weeks. Uh, yesterday she turned 31 weeks. So like, it's interesting because it's like, my, my job is to perform and use my body to perform. Now if, you know, if and when everything's good and my wife gives birth, there's going to be a screaming baby where I'm up two three hours every night i'm up and probably getting maybe three four five hours of sleep which you know when you both of you probably know when you don't get enough sleep you mentally not great physically you're terrible and it's almost like should there be a period of time where a footballer gets a bit of um time off um or should you like go through it and, and i was planning on you know playing through it and going through it and it would have been interesting to see had the season continued this year, how I would have reacted to that. Um, because when Leo was born, he was born at the start of pre-season. So I didn't have to go through like the full mid-season. But this would have been a July birth, bang in the middle of summer, bang in the middle of the season. And it's just like, there's no, I mean, you don't get any support from anyone. You know, people are just like, oh, great. You know, your wife's having a kid, you know, uh, all the best. Congratulations. It's like, well, I have to perform, you know, I have to physically perform. So it's interesting you say that, you know, um, that's something that I was, I was planning on just powering through, but I would have been interested to see how that I would have reacted to that. Yeah, it's just, there is so many factors that are affected by it. And, and when your sole job is you being at ultimate, optimal health and, and just ready to, you have to be at your top and at your guys' level, I can only imagine, you, you know, there's a whole different pressure with it because there's so many guys trying to get in the USL and, and you guys need to be in tip top shape and, and outside life has a huge effect on it. And a big portion of that is your mental health as well. I would say the game, you know, it's, I think the least difficult thing as a footballer is getting in shape and getting technical. I think those are, it's not easy. It's definitely hard work, but they're, the least complicated. Yeah. Anybody can go out and do that. But I think what separates like you two from a lot of players out there, and I think this is the key, I think a lot of people follow your guys' channel and just think, I'm just going to do these workouts. And you probably get questions like this all the time. Like, you know, if I, if I do 100 juggles a day, will I become a professional? If I go out and run five miles a week, will I become a professional? And you guys, you guys show the condition you need to be in and people think you just need to be in that condition. So, like, you're, I think you were saying, Matt, about um, the John Terry workout. I think you perfectly said that because there's guys out there watching this and 
there's some people who give advice and don't kind of give any extra explanation. They just say, you do this, you get the results. But there's guys out there just like really trying to get this John Terry workout and they're just pushing it every day, but they get out on the pitch and if they're mentally frazzled or they just scared, they're nervous, they're not confident in themselves, it doesn't matter how much you're in shape, how technical you are, it, it really, it's just, it doesn't matter. And we see this on the flip side as well. There's players who are lacking a lot of technique and they've made incredible careers based on their, their work rate, their desire, their leadership. And these are all things that stem from the mental side of the game. So I always say to players, like, the game's 80% upwards mental, maybe more, yeah. maybe 95%. No, it's like, it's like uh, exactly, like, honestly, 100%. Like, how many players have you seen that have so much potential, are so technical, are such amazing players, but because they don't have a good head screwed on their, like, on their body, they, they have no tactical awareness. They're not thinking, you know, you're down one zero and they're doing stupid stuff in the box. And I like, I, I even get that a, a little bit. Like I get a little bit of a cr criticism because I'm not like the most crazy skilled player or creative player. But one thing that I've found like, like success in is that I'm just like, my coaches have said, it's just like, it's reliable, you know, mentally. I've, I, I feel like one of my strengths is that like I, I'm consistent with the performances, you know? And so that's something that like what you just said with like a John Terry or how, you know, how technical work you can do and, and how skilled you can become. Like that's the easy part. But then going on the game and understanding when you have like mentally the tactical awareness, what you should do, even though, yeah, maybe you could do something that would be a little bit more, you know, maybe a little bit more showy or whatever. But if you, you have to have that tactical awareness, you have to have the mental side, you have to be constantly switched on for 90 minutes. So that's like the in game mental part where it's just, sometimes that mental that mental side is is more important or, or just as important of how of what you can do with your body on the field you know because i feel like i'm even is especially now as i i can see the next two three years as my body starts to not become as explosive starts to slow down a little bit then you just have to be even more mentally faster and switched on and predict stuff and, and anticipate stuff even more because and that's the key is like you have to have that mental side just in the game because there's so many players out there that are so skilled have so much potential but because they're not locked in in the game mentally and they're not using their head or thinking or have that game awareness their their game suffers you know yeah, for sure i do think you, i do think there is a there is something about going through the struggles and i think that serves you well in the long run like setbacks and i i think Matt, you're a perfect testament to it. You know, going oh, through fail over my career. Yeah, and, and <laughs> look at you now, kind of thing. And and Jack, I, you know, going from one of the top academies, you know, being cut, not sure what to do next. USL championship, you got USL championship under your belt, and you know, arguably, both of you could easily play in the MLS. Well, not easily, but you know what I mean. You're you're at that level, and for different circumstances, whether that happens or not, we're we're yet to see. But you've certainly had incredible careers and great stories to leave behind. And I think a big part of that is the rejections and the failures. And I almost see it like you guys are both gym beasts. I've seen your workouts. But you, to get stronger and bigger and more powerful, you have to put your body through such almost deterioration. You have to put it through such pain for it to grow on the other side. And I, I think it's the same with the mind that a lot of people ask, how can you get mentally tougher there's not exercises you can do to get mentally tougher you just have to go through tough times and then come out on the other side still persevering and i think you naturally adapt to that so i think the brain reacts not the same way but a similar way to muscles where you, you put it through tough times and it comes out on the other side stronger you know? yeah yeah, yeah. To, to finish to finish on that question i just think like if, if I hadn't have gone through the, the mental side and back in England and then, you know, feeling lonely and coming over to the States and like me and my, my wife now being on our own in the States and all that mental side to, to coming over here and what we went through back in England, I would nowhere near have achieved what I've achieved over here without that. So without anyone that's going through the, you know, the tough times, you know, there's, we all have the tough times. We all go through these failures. And I think it's important that when we do, you realize that you have that self-belief and you have that understanding that, you know, you've worked your life and you've put so much effort into um, your career that 
you know, just because one person doesn't want to give you a new contract or one person has an opinion of you does not change in the long run, you know, what happens. So yeah, that, that was all I'd say on the last, the last to that question. Yeah, it's a good finishing point. Mm -hmm. Very important. Cool. So Matt, did you want to jump in with your question? Yeah, yeah sure. I, I feel like you pretty much just uh, had a good little segue into it about how like, um, like, you know, we've, we've, we've failed a lot. And, and on the flip side, like I, I, my question is just kind of like wondering, you know, we've all had pretty successful careers. We've, we've all achieved something that like a very few players end up at the, at the high school level, end up achieving, you know, getting paid to play this game, traveling the world, playing in different countries. That's something that like 0.08%, I think it was 0.08% of high schoolers end up achieving. Um, however, having said that, we're obviously not being paid millions of dollars and, and at the top flight over in Europe. Um, even though like Jack, you were over there with the academy team, but I'm wondering um, just to do like, if we could all do some self-analysis and wondering why maybe if there was something in our youth career, if it was maybe a training aspect, if we never focused on something, if it was a little bit of luck involved or, or just the reason why we think that we aren't at the highest level or didn't get to the highest level earlier in our, in our careers. Jack, you probably have a better answer, so I'll, I'll get mine out of the way with <laughs> Yeah, let's Jack. But yeah. um, I was going to say, well, I'm definitely, as I already mentioned, not been at the level you guys have been at, so certainly not achieved that level of success. But I am grateful for the opportunities that I've had, being able to play in other countries. And now in the, the indoor league, it, it's awesome. But I think for me, if I had to analyse growing up, A, I... You know, like I said, I was in very amateur teams up until the age of 16. And um, there's a lot of players getting a lot more guidance from a younger age and being in tactically more sound environments. You know, I'm pretty much in the Sunday league team where we, you're training with the team once a week and then I'm doing all my individual work. So kind of like what we said before, I, I got very good technically because I spent a lot of time with the ball. But the technical side is only one portion of it. I didn't think I spent enough time in an environment where I was really learning the game, not only from a tactical standpoint, but getting to strengthen mentally. I don't think I was in a competitive enough environment that put me under the challenge that you needed to kind of push through boundaries. I think I was always in leagues where I was doing well, you know what I mean? Because in those kind of leagues growing up, I was just quick and I had a good finish. So I could get away with just banging in lots of goals and then, you know, playing for the same team and feeling good about yourself and thinking, oh, yeah, I'm probably going to get picked up by a team here and then. But then you get into a more advanced environment and, and you get found out because there's a lot more that goes into it. You can't just kick and run anymore. You can't just outpace people. You can't just, like, do a slight shoulder feint and the guy falls on the ground anymore. You're actually playing against real footballers. And That's your game. Hello? Unless you want to be one against Shelly. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, so I, I think I started late in terms of learning the game properly. You know, as far as higher level thinking of the game, I was, I was only in an academy environment at 16 when I went to a college, and then we were trained every day. And that was the first time I had a coach who had played professionally. His name was Steve Wilkinson, Preston North End, next strike. I don't know if you know him. No. No, he was, uh, he was uh, he's a pretty old dude, to be fair. But he, he started to like break the game down a lot more in depth. And that's where I was kind of exposed to thinking about it a lot differently instead of just like always forward thinking, you know, check, you know, taking a step back, checking back to then advance forward, losing your marker and things like that. And it wasn't second nature for me. I was still learning it. So everything I was processing, everything I was executing on the pitch, it was still took a lot of thought and I really had to, so it wasn't natural, it wasn't second nature, it wasn't, you know, just an afterthought. I think when I watch players who have been in a system for a long time, they just do things naturally and that, that really didn't come to me until a lot later. And I think in probably not even into my, until my mid-20s when I finally start to like read the game a little bit more, start to see steps a couple couple steps ahead than I did before and things like that. So I, I think I didn't, I didn't take the game seriously enough at a younger age where I really focused in and thought about it as a career because kind of like what we were speaking to before, in England when you're not in an academy at 14, 15, you're just, you're just kind of written off, I suppose. So I didn't really take it seriously. And 
you almost don't even want to voice it to other people that you're trying to be a pro or anything like that because in England it is a very cutthroat culture when it comes to football very a prideful nation thinking that we invented the game and everything like that you know so it's 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 just one of those things but I don't look back on it with regret at all I think I exceeded my own expectations I thought I wouldn't really break out of Sunday league at all and you know I didn't get much higher than that but I definitely surpassed where I thought I would be I didn't even think I would play in any pro league at all in in the world like even though it's indoor football and it's a lot different um just having that opportunity it's not something I thought I would have had when just 10 years ago I was still essentially playing Sunday league so I I, I just think it's there's no bad luck or anything like that. I just think my decisions growing up and not putting as much focus on it and maybe not taking myself seriously enough as a player to really be a student of the game until a lot later on, you know, that's, that's where I see I could have probably excelled a lot more. That's interesting. Yeah. For me, I think, I think firstly, it's great, you know, to, to look back and be as open and honest. I think, I think what you're saying is, is fantastic. I think and the fact you have no regrets as well, I completely agree in my situation as well. I have no regrets to, to what's happened in the past because the game has brought me so many things externally off the pitch and also on the field, getting to travel the world, a lot of parts to the world the game has brought me. So I don't, I don't regret any decision I've made, especially coming over to the States. I think for me, when I was back in England, I wish I'd have had the hardened experiences earlier. I wish I'd have had the, the rejection. I wish to have had the, you know, not been a spoon fed through the system because you become, um, you think that you're, you're just owed everything. You think people owe you, you think that you're owed something from the game. And that's not the case. You know, when I was 17, 18, 19, I was, you know, I was told, you know, you're going to be one of the really good players. Hopefully you're going to go on and play in the first team. You're going to do really well. And I really, you know, sat and listened and was like, yeah, yeah. Like it's going to happen. I'm just got to wait for it to happen. But it's not like that. Like you're not owed anything by the game. And I wish I'd have had those experiences earlier where I'd had that rejection. I'd had that taste of, oh, maybe you might not make it. Maybe, you know, you need to, you need to just understand that, that there's so many more people in the world that are trying to get to the position that you are. And you're not one of hundreds of people. You're one of millions of people. Um, and back to your question, Shelly, I think the fact that, we have achieved, you know, all of us are in the professional game and so many people in the world aspire to be in the professional game. Um, you, you can never take it for granted. So I think I, I wish that I'd have gone on loan earlier. So I went on loan to League Two when I was uh, 18, 19. And I wish I'd have gone on loan when I was 16, 17. Um, and I wish I'd have gone on loan. It could have been anywhere, but just to get professional games earlier, so I, I, I could have gone down to Conference, Conference North. At the time when I went on loan, it was in League Two. Um, but at the time, you know, I thought when I was 16, 17, I'll stay at Forest and I'll stay in the youth team and, you know, everything will be fine because I'm comfortable here. Whereas if I'd have gone out of my comfort zone a little more and I'd have gone and played uh, out on loan even lower and got that experience of playing Conference North, for example. You imagine 16, 17 playing and getting bashed about in the Conference North. I think at that time I would have needed that experience to understand what the game, how I understand, understand the game now. Um, so I think if I'd, have, if I'd have maybe gone alone a little earlier, I would have got more professional games under my belt. Maybe I wouldn't have been released, you know, after my injury. Maybe I would have, you know, who knows. But I think the game is such a, a matter of opinion that it's very difficult to look back and say, if I'd have changed that, then that would have definitely happened. Because it's so fluid, everything changes. I mean, just look at this year, for example. I mean, you know, everything changes so quickly that you can go from a 21-year-old that's been, you know, opened his mail on a, on a Saturday morning and read that he's been released to last year winning a championship. And I'm still the same person. I'm still the same player. And I'm in two completely different places in mentally and in the world and in my career that is just, it's mind-blowing when you think about it. So I, I think that for me, it's just, I just wish that I'd have had that out of comfort zone and that bit of uh, rejection earlier. <laughs> That's all I'd say. Yeah, yeah. And it, I, think it's, I think it is important to say that, like what you said, like both of you guys said, like you don't regret anything. 
because it's like, yeah, like the reason all of my life happened and how it worked out has brought, you know, all of us to where we are today. Um, but like, yeah, it's, I always think it's super interesting just to, just to ask that question. I think that my answer is like super similar to Michael's It's like in America, especially in the nineties is like the, it was not the same development that we have now, you know, now it's, now it's so awesome to see these kids like 12, 13 years old, how skilled they are. It's crazy. Like, I think it's so awesome to see that. Um, but like I was doing the same thing. Like I was basically in like club teams and I was some years like there was like one or two years during my youth where I didn't even play year round soccer. It was just like the recreational, like just, I'll just go, you know, I'll play basketball, baseball, then I'll play soccer in the fall. Uh, so like, I didn't have like the full upbringing of we're going to play year round. Like I said in the last podcast, Jack, where kids over in England are pinging long balls all day long. It, it's, so it's good to see in what Michael, what you said about uh, the competitiveness around you, you kind of get like in that bubble of like, Oh, I'm, you know, one of the better players on my team. I, I'm a, you know, a big fish in a small pond. I don't need to do the extra stuff, you know, to get me where I, where I need to be. And the same exact thing. Like I was always faster. I was always a little bit like once I got kind of like through puberty and everything, I was always stronger and more athletic. So I could, I could take a terrible touch. And, and I would still be able to get there before the other high schoolers. So I didn't need to work on that. I wasn't surrounded by other grown men who were just as athletic as me that if I took that bad touch would easily swoop that up and then everybody would yell at me. So I definitely think that like being in that competitive environment early on would have really helped me being in like some sort of like, you know, training, just training more with the team. I did a lot. I love soccer. I love playing. So I was always juggling or playing one V ones with my brother. Um, but I just think if I had, if I could have had a little bit more, uh, just team trainings and just a little bit more, you know, better environment growing up with that. But again, I think all that extra individual training I did, and it, it allowed me to like kind of like surpass like my small pond that I had growing up. So I think like you know you don't regret it. But I, looking back on it, I think that it kind of like stopped my development at an earlier at that crucial time. You know. Yeah. Mm. It's a good point. I mean, I just, it makes me think about other countries. Like when I think about like Brazil and places like that, where all they do is just, just play all day long on the streets. It's like the more interaction with other players and just putting yourself in match situations as much as possible. You just naturally read the game a lot more. And it's the same, same with me, Matt. I think I just spent so much time training individually thinking that's what you needed to do and that's all you needed to do and I think it's great that we we kind of promote that individual training as supplemental to team I think we need to keep pushing that point across because I think a lot of people are just under the impression like I'm sure you guys get messages all the time from like players saying something like I'm from a country where there's no teams there's no leagues and this and that but I'm training every day I'm going to become a pro how can I contact a team in England I'm like I wouldn't even want to put them in that situation and, and get them that opportunity because I feel like they would be so overwhelmed even if they can juggle a ball 10,000 times on their left big toe you know what I mean it's like once it just all goes out the window once you're in a, a competitive environment because suddenly you have so many stimulus you know like all over the place and it's it's completely different it's yeah. a completely different world once you're once you're in there and the heat's yeah. on yeah yeah, that's super interesting. Um, Mike, Michael, do you want to do your, your question to finish off? Yeah, so I was just kind of reflecting on like football in general and like it's great that we play and everything, but it's brought us all so much more. We've all traveled. Jack, Jack's living in another country. I'm living in another country. Matt, you've been over to Germany, New Zealand, seen these incredible places. And I was thinking more about it and everybody's career stops at one point or another, whether it's they don't play after high school, they play college and then they start and then they go into the real world. What do you guys think about football in terms or just being an athlete in general? How does it prepare you for the real world? What lessons can you take away from being a professional athlete, an amateur athlete? And how can you apply that into the real world? I, th I think, uh, I think for me, I, I think that uh, weirdly it's because, because when I was, when I was in the academy and growing up, in England, um, our, our academy structure was very strict and our academy director was very strict. So I don't know if you experienced this in England, but black boots was a, and you know, you couldn't wear any colored boots. You had to have your shirt tucked in. You had to be like pristinely smart. You had to be on time. 
you had to be like you were late to anything it was like that was the end of the world and I think what football really taught me growing up was more structure and more discipline you know discipline to be on time and now like it's crazy like <laughs> my wife will joke with me but if, we, if we've got an appointment and we have to be there at 3.30 for example and if I'm not there on time or five minutes before I just can't deal with it mentally yeah. and like it's because I have that it's like the structure of being on time it's the discipline it's like I, I had that you know you've been in the football environment both of you it's like there's late there's fines for being late there's fines for you know messing up there's fines for forgetting gear I think if you can have that um, structured mentality and, and take that into your everyday life, I think it will, it has really helped me. And, you know, growing up, that's what I needed. I needed structure. I needed discipline. I needed, you know, a head on shoulders to be smart and understand um, life in general. And I think like just that structure side for me was so important. And, and I think that that's been the biggest lesson for me, really. Yeah, no, I can I can completely see that. I mean, the fines and like how strict you are on time is so true. It's like yeah. thing. we'll have a dinner reservation, Mimi and I, and I same exact thing. Mimi gets so mad at me. She's like, "Who cares? Just push it back ten minutes." I'm like, no, it was for six fifteen. It's six twenty, Mimi. No, no, hundred percent. Um, I think I think for me, the two things like that I've like gotten from um from soccer that I've really really uh like applied to life even especially with my youtube channel it's, i think especially that and i'm sure obviously you guys are in the same boat but it's um i've always found that like with with soccer when i was little the more consistent work that i would do you know if i would go out and train every single day on my juggling i could see my juggling improving over time you know and i could see that if i took a week off of, of working on soccer or took a week off of juggling or whatever that i would come back and that first day i felt rusty so it was that that idea kind of like ingrained in me super young that you have to, if you want to improve at something, you have to not only like work hard at it, but it's that consistent hard work over long periods of time. You know, you're going to have bad days, good days. But if you do that, you know, four or five days a week, you're just consistent with it. It doesn't have to be crazy. But if you're consistent with it over the long term, you're going to see results. And I kept on seeing that year after year. Same thing I'm going to the, as an athlete, I go to the gym and see the same thing. If I continued, if I just raised it, by five pounds every single week, I was going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. It was that consistent growth over the long term. And I think applying that to like life in general, I've like really applied it to uh, like YouTube and business and everything of like, look, you're not going to, you're not going to build a YouTube channel of a hundred thousand subscribers in a day. You know, you're not going to build a business that is generating a million dollars in a day. But the best thing you can do is just that like almost like boring hard work every single day and just be consistent with it over the long term and just every day just keep on doing it you know every day is team training you're going out there doing the same thing but it's just you know you're improving and you're getting better slowly over the long term and i think that's why uh i feel like that's why for like youtube business wherever that's what i've like really taken away from soccer it's awesome yeah i think you guys both covered all the angles there but just just to reiterate i think it is it is so important to take these lessons because Discipline is everything, you know, and I think I've spoken to, I remember we had a careers class in college where some local businesses came in to chat with our team and they were, you know, offering internships and this and that. And they were saying how they deliberately look for athletes in their application piles because they know they're going to be punctual because they've been working with timeframes their entire life. They need to be at practice at this time. They used to work with 90 minutes going hard for this amount of time, training at this time in the morning. You know, they don't have struggles getting up early. They don't, you know, they work, they do the extra and they have that natural competitiveness that's pretty healthy. You know, I think because we're in team environments, especially, we're learning to compete together. It's not a solo mission. And we know that success being in a team only comes when you're working together. You can't go out on the pitch and just be your own player, do what you want and, try and take the game into your own hands all the time. So it, it teaches you to work with other people, which kind of snowballs and brings you even more success in the end. But it has to come through that discipline, that hard work and everything. So I think the main point with this is there is a lot of players watching and there's only so, so many professional football jobs out there. Not everyone can have them, but it doesn't mean that their time playing the game or being an athlete However, whatever level they reach, whether it's just high school, college, or they go on 
and above, you're still going to have to retire someday in your mid-30s. And then, especially at our level, it's not like the Premier League where a lot of us could just retire. We're going to have to keep on working and, and have other projects to survive. So it's good to apply those same lessons, especially with the YouTube channel, because I think that's a big one for me. I, I have a lot of people reach out, which I'm sure you guys too, on how, how do you grow? And I just say to them, it's consistency. They think there's some magic remedy that you do a certain tag or something like that. And it's, it really is just the consistency. And it's funny, I'm not sure if, I think, I think you were saying it, Matt, in one of your videos, how you can go back to your first video that you make if you just click a button. I'm not sure, but um, I went back and watched it. Me and my wife, Becca, were watching it, and I was just like, this is the worst thing I've ever watched in my entire life. <laughs> I, was, I should send you boys this video, but I was trying to do a review of some like total 90s, and I didn't know what editing was back then, so like, if I forgot something, I'd literally look to the sides and pause for like eight seconds. <laughs> And like look back and be like, yeah, they're pretty good. And I like repeat myself so many times. I'm like, what is this nonsense that I'm watching? But when you see that and then compare it to your newest video, like I'm always unhappy with my video. I'm sure you guys are too. I'm sure you're perfectionists as well. I'm always like, oh, Zach is definitely unhappy with his videos. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. <laughs> but yeah, but you just see, you just see that, you see that progression, and I, I think. As athletes as well, when we look back and we see the journey, we, we, we get to see real definitive steps forward, which not everyone always gets to see in their career choices. We really get to see like, okay, I went from this level to this level. This year I scored this many goals, or this year I was an All-American in college where the year before I wasn't even in the starting lineup. You get to see very much big differences. And I, I think that it's motivating, you know, it builds momentum when you see that and it becomes quite addictive. So you can take that away into other areas of your life. And I think being an athlete for any period of time teaches you a lot about life in general and how to kind of navigate and be successful in whatever realm you end up going into. So, yeah. It's like the same thing, the same thing with the videos of going back, like I did the same thing with my, my videos, like I'll go back and they're so bad. But even like, even highlight videos, like I do, I, so, I, I noticed the same exact thing on highlight videos, you know? Like I see my first year in the USL and I'm like, ah, that's not good. <laughs> and then uh, you just see the improvement, the consistent improvement over time. So yeah, I think it's, it's funny how it applies to like so many different things in life. Yeah. Jack, do you know Matt and I played against each other for one game? Didn't know that. No, where was that? So, 2014, I was in Southern California playing for the Southern California Seahorses. So, yeah, and uh, Matt was playing for the San Jose Earthquakes. And I didn't, we obviously didn't know each other at the time. I, I don't know if you know if you're on YouTube. I certainly wasn't. I just had like my highlight videos on YouTube, so I wasn't even in on it. But I remember I was editing my highlight videos to go over to, I was contacting teams in Australia, so I was putting together, and on the start of the, the game where we played against you guys, it shows like the team sheets, and I remember looking at it and I saw Matt show, and I was like, wait a second. And then <laughs> I looked it up and I was like, no way. I don't know if you remember that game, but your team got two red cards, we were winning 3-1, you, your team got two red cards, and then you came back and beat us 4-3. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that game. I don't know if you scored that game or not, but... <laughs> that, was back, that was back when I was still playing forward. Yeah, I remember. I remember you, you were playing forward, but we didn't know... It, like, I obviously saw you in the moment, but I didn't know who you were. Yeah, yeah it's, so, it's such a small world. Yeah, honestly, it's, it's, the soccer world is so tiny. And I, I swear, like, every single player, especially in the U.S. or, like, even in, abroad in England or wherever, it's like you're connected by another player by like one degree of separation, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. Like I went to the Philippines after Australia to train with a team for a month. And there was a player on that team who went to college with a team I now play on an indoor team with and lives here in Rochester. And I'm like good buddies with him. And I'm just like, <laughs> like some random guy in the Philippines knows. <laughs> but it is so small. It's cool. Yeah. No, I think that was brilliant though. I think I think we've covered a lot of good stuff there. Um, some really good content for people listening as well. I think that's that's spot on. Yeah, let's just you. let's just edit out that part where you said all I do is a body thing, because I guess I moved in my arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> was your free kick against Matt's team? 
when you... Uh, <laughs> let me just, yeah, just put highlights. Let's just double check, yeah. Maybe edit that bit in, yeah. Honestly, I, that was probably, playing the Monarchs both times was probably one of the worst experiences of my life last year. That was terrible. Uh, especially when we played at your guys' place, I felt like you guys had like 80% possession that game. Yeah, all, we had the ball, yeah. God, all I remember is just, just constantly defending and being so tired. We, we, was, were, like, we were so successful at home because, because A, like the altitude plays such a big part. But then also like the field, although it's really nice, it, it does get a bit of time you know, to get used to it. The bounce of the ball is different. And I think like just at home, we were just so comfortable and confident. And that's the mentality that I realized like going over to the States is like the away games are so, you're at such a disadvantage. Start from the travel to like staying in the hotel to everything is just like against you. And to get results on, even to get a draw on the road is like a celebration. Whereas back in England, you know, it's sort of fairly even, isn't it? I mean, you just don't have your fans there. That's about it. Yeah. In America, it's like two worlds apart. Yeah. Yeah, the, the away games are, are so different and it's like not only that but like the travel too like not many countries are you going to play an away game in your own conference and have to have two connecting flights that's going to take a full day to go from Tulsa to Chicago sh Chicago to Seattle Seattle drive an hour and a half down into Tacoma like you don't get that that in, in many different countries <laughs> but yeah be sure to edit that free kick in though yeah that <laughs> <laughs> was it Hi guys, so I hope you guys enjoyed that talk with Jack and Michael. I had a really good time. They're both really, really great guys. And, and I really hope that we can have more collabs in the future, whether that's over Zoom or hopefully in the more long-term future to have some collabs in person, some training sessions or something like that. I think that'd be amazing. So uh, let me know what you guys thought. If you guys have any questions, you have any comments, you have any suggestions, let me know. I'm going to read everything and uh, be sure to check out Jack and Michael. They have great YouTube channels. They're great guys. And I really, really recommend all of their content. So I'll link those in the description right beneath uh, the Ebonel skincare link. So uh, once again, thank you to Ebonel for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you guys do want to check them out, like I said, you can check them out on Amazon or on their website, which will both link in the description, the top of the description. And if you do, if you do decide to get it, be sure to use the coupon code AGAINST10 on your order. So hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, hit the thumbs up button, subscribe, and I'll see you guys in the next episode of the Against All Odds podcast. Peace. Yeah.